Hello, and welcome to the Sound of History podcast. My name is Nick. My name is Sick Mika. And this is a podcast where I attempt to teach Mika music history. And I am a captive audience. Well. My attention is, is hard to captive. <laughs> Isn't that what captive audience means? A captive audience means they can't go anywhere. They have to pay attention to you. Okay. I don't so know. So physically, you are captive. Yeah. Mentally, mentally and emotionally. Mentally and emotionally, I'm like, like, you know that like elf yourself Christmas video thing that you used to do like in the two, 2010s? Yes. It, it would be I like, remember other people did that, yes. Oh, you didn't ever elf yourself? I was too cool for that. Oh, I wasn't. Anyway, <laughs> picture that, but like, you know, like sunshine or on the beach, but like it's like my head on it dancing like something. That's <laughs> mentally where I am and emotionally and spiritually. Do you want to tell the people why you are captive? I got the vid. <laughs> it's not cool. I evaded it for years. Yeah, it's kind of reassuring because I thought you were like a robot or something. I wanted to be immune. The amount of times you've been exposed to COVID and haven't caught it is kind of amazing. Yeah, I don't so even know where bit, this one came from. A little bit reassuring that you <laughs> finally got it. How did it find me? I don't know. Maybe I brought it back from New York and I just didn't have any symptoms. That's actually fair. Maybe. I don't know. Well, anyway, this is not a COVID podcast, but... Mika can be the host now, so you can talk about what you want to talk about. Mika is the host now. I don't have a lot to say since we just did this a few days ago, but this is going to be really great for like our pod schedule. We're going to have a few of these recorded. Yeah, there's nothing else to do, so we might as well. It's really either record a podcast or continue binge watching The Office. That's like our only options right now. I would like to plug The Office. Thank you to everyone on that show, all of the writers. All of all of the British people who who came up with it, very good. Ricky Gervais, Steve Carell, Stephen Merchant. Is that the writer? He is the UK? often forgotten co-creator. It was Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant created Thanks, it Stephen together. Stephen Merchant. Oh, he's very. He's like six nine. Like he is tall, Shit. dude. That's amazing. <laughs> he's cool. I saw a TikTok clip. With Stephen Merchant. He was doing like a podcast with Conan O'Brien. And apparently Conan is good friends with Greg Daniels, who is the guy who like developed it for American television. Mm-hmm. And Greg was talking about trying to do it. And Conan was like, listen, man, here's my advice. Run away. Don't don't even try. <laughs> don't like, don't get don't even attempt this. And Stephen was like, man, I'm so glad he ignored you because now I don't have to work. I love again. that for him. <laughs> like if he listened to you, I would still be doing like little stand up comedy shows to twenty five people. <laughs> good, good, good. Apparently good. Conan also suggested one of his other friends not to do some big sh- it was uh Michael Myers. He suggested Michael Myers not do Wayne's World. So you just should never listen to yes. Conan. It's cause like Conan was a writer at SNL and Michael Myers pitched him the Wayne's World sketch. And Conan was like, this is just, it's not going to work. It's too, it's been done. And then Michael Myers submitted it to the writing staff anyway. 
so Conan was like, oh, this guy's going to learn his lesson. He's going to get, like, torn to shreds. And it turned out to be one of the most successful sketches ever on SNL history. Conan doesn't know how to have fun. <laughs> just, he's just wrong sometimes. He's also been right a lot. Anyway, that was a tangent. Sorry I interrupted me because the host now. Yeah, how dare you... How how dare you... I am sorry. ...derail this very about me situation you'll have your time and i never derail you (laughs) not a single time never anyway i would like to plug sick time tea sick time tea was something that starbucks created but then they told me how to make it or i think trinity told me how to make it or maybe alex it was either trinity or alex neither of you listen to this podcast but i love you both anyway it's one bag of peppermint tea, one bag of chamomile tea, honey to sweeten it, and a bunch of lemon juice. And the combination of all of that is very soothing, and it opens up your nasal passages. It tastes good. Everything has a purpose. Sick time tea. Cool. Cheers. It's good tea. Anything else? You got to save some stuff, because we'll probably be doing more episodes. I hate my nails. Just as a follow-up. I still don't like them. That's your anti-plug that you always have to have. One of them fell off within a day. Maybe I banged it on something. I had been drinking. (laughs) That's all. Cool. Mika no longer the host? Mika no longer the host. All right. Well, yeah. As Mika said, you guys will probably be getting regular episodes for at least a few weeks, which is fun. Because I haven't even edited the Soft Rock one, and now we're recording this one, and then... We're supposed to be recording a Sound of Conspiracies tomorrow. That's so exciting. Can I be a part of that one? I mean, you'll have to be. There's no, <laughs> I don't I have, have another to. studio to go to, so you'll be here. Oh, I didn't know if you would let me be in it. Yeah, you can be in it. Well, I'll leave it up to Jacob. So we'll have that. And then, I mean, I imagine we'll probably do at least one or two more during this week-long quarantine. We have at least. Mika is a host again. If you have recommendations for us to do when we're bored, let us know. Just just tell us. It doesn't have to be music history related. In fact, I ask that it not be. Because <laughs> if I'm doing multiple episodes of this in a week, I'm going to be music historyed out. Not necessarily. It's pretty cool. I do like music. They're fun episodes, these next few. They're all fun. Well, well some of them have been very sad. Yeah. How racist. how can they how can they let us know? On Twitter. Tweet tweet at us at sound of history underscore. Yes. I felt like a dad who didn't know how to use well more like a mom. I felt like a mom who didn't know how to use the internet. My dad's always been using the internet. My dad's been on Twitter for longer than all of you bitches. Mika is not the host anymore. Last episode, we talked about soft rock. You want to give us a brief recap of what soft rock is? I don't know, because I still feel like it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, because I think of it as one thing, and then we'd play something, and I'm like, this is not rock at all, but like because it's like singer-songwritery, and like it has the drums, then it's all of a sudden rock. Singer-songwriter is generally one person. So, like, Bread can't be a singer-songwriter because it's a band. But some singer-songwriters also make soft. It's weird. Like, at this point, there's so much music happening because it's way more accessible to make and record music 
that sometimes genres get a little blurry. Soft rock is rock, but like... Soft. Like with Benadryl. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Well, it was really hard to decide who to talk about in this episode. There were so many artists who are at least kind of soft rock-ish or soft rock adjacent. A lot of them, to be honest, aren't super worth taking a whole episode to talk about. Oh, wow. That's fighting words. Well, it's more, they're kind of like one-hit wonders. And the one hit they had was massive, but like it's not, I'm not going to. Does one-hit wonders make you think of Phineas and Ferb? No. Oh, okay. Why? Because they did a whole thing where they wanted to be a one-hit wonder. Oh, I've seen they maybe got two like, episodes of that show. I don't know. You're missing out because then they got like Love Handle on. They had a one-hit wonder. But they okay. also did throughout the rest of the show have several absolute bangers. So okay. more than one hit in the end. It was for his parents' anniversary. That's nice. It was very nice. Okay. Well, I want these episodes after like the genre episodes to be about artists that I think you should know more about. Like I think you should know their history. And there's quite a few artists in this genre that I think you should learn about who at one time or another could be called soft rock. People like America, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, etc. But there's... I don't know about any of them. Well, we'll learn about Joni Mitchell. We talk about her after singer-songwriter. So you will hear about her. You probably won't. Is she the one that we played last time that I liked? That looks like a... She looks like a bisexual on her album cover. That was Carol King. Ah, Carol King with the cat. Yes. And the boots and the curly hair. But there's really one person who looms larger than the rest of them in this world of kind of softer, rocky music. Although many people would not classify him as soft rock, I'd say some of his stuff definitely was. We're talking about Elton John. Can you feel the love tonight? And I chose to talk about him mostly because I feel like we have to talk about him somewhere during this podcast. And it's as good a place as any, really. Well, I never saw the movie, so I know very little. Okay, well, that's the next question. What do you know about Elton besides Lion King? What else do you need to know? He had a massive career before Lion King. Lion King, man. That's all you know? It's the best soundtrack besides Tarzan. Tarzan was good. Phil Collins went. Is Phil Collins big on soft that. rock. Phil Collins seems soft rocky. Yeah, probably. He's. I think Genesis was more just rock, maybe. Phil Collins solo was probably more soft rocky. Yeah. But I think he was later. I think he was maybe like eighties. Yeah. Okay. He's nineties. So you have no other opinions on Elton John? I don't know. No, he was fun and talented. And boas. Yeah, he had a lot of boas. I like that. Do you know what his real name was? Sir Elton John the Third. <laughs> Reginald Kenneth Dwight. What? <laughs> was born in a London suburb on March 25th, 1947. Stop it. His father was a ranking officer of the Royal Air Force. And Elton described him as, quote, very snobbish and sort of stiff, end quote. Little army brat boy. Yeah. His father kind of uh, led to him having a restrictive childhood. 
What? When he said he wanted to pursue music, his father tried hard to steer him towards a more sensible career like banking. God. It's the worst thing you could do yeah. to a musician. <laughs> Can you imagine Elton John in a bank? It's just, oh, it would be fun. Both of his parents were musically inclined. His what? Fa- his father had previously been a trumpeter for a big band that played at military bases. And his mother loved bringing home rock records from people like Elvis and Bill Haley. So he had the fun. Elton's dad had all the fun squished out of him. Yeah. And sensible out of him. So he's doing this cycle. Elton said, quote, I heard Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis and that was it. I didn't ever want to be anything else. I'm more of a Little Richard stylist than a Jerry Lee Lewis Jerry Lee is a very intricate piano player and very skillful, but Little Richard is more of a pounder. End quote. Which makes sense, but Jerry Lee was also quite a bit of a pounder, so... I don't know. Was Elton John a pounder? Probably. (laughs) Okay. Somewhat of a piano prodigy, he started playing at a really early age. By the age of four, he had already started to learn songs by ear. He started performing at family parties and, around age seven, was allowed to take formal piano lessons. He could play music perfectly after hearing it one time and got kind of famous around his school for being able to compose melodies and for playing like Little Richard at school events. He's one of them. Yeah. Also, could you imagine like a little, like sixth grader playing like a Little Richard at a talent show? That'd be wild. No, I can't. At age 11, he auditioned and won a scholarship to the Royal Academy of Music. Yes, honey. Where he played a complicated four-page piece for his instructor after hearing it one time. Oh, my gosh. As a teenager, still studying at the Royal Academy of Music, he started to gravitate towards a more pop-friendly sound instead of rock and roll. He claims that he was a bad student and would scrape by without practicing. He said he'd often cut classes to just ride around the London underground. See, but the thing is, he has that, like, perfect pitch, like, musical prodigy, whatever the hell. And so, why would he need to practice? Like, it's, it's about, I wish, like, you know, it'd be cool if you could, like, you know, I don't know, if someone could, like, teach you the benefit of that. But, like, can you blame him if you can play something after one listen? Yeah, like, he never had to work hard. Yeah. But it's still, it would have probably help to work hard also i felt like you would also skip classes to just ride around the subway systems if you had a subway system well see my love of public transportation is at equal odds with my love of rule following even though it used to be rule following was higher and now i'm i'm not as strict on that so now it's more equal okay and public transit love has gone up yes okay (laughs) I don't know, actually. I mean, if I loved it when I was three years old. Yeah, true. (laughs) You just didn't have a lot of opportunities to pursue that love. Yeah. But several of his instructors said that he was a model student and even started to do private tutoring in in addition to his regular lessons towards the end of his schooling. So, you know, maybe he's just trying to make an image for himself. Or maybe he has this idea of perfectionism from his family. But why would that that lead him to lying about cutting classes and not applying himself? Well, no. Like, if he's thinking that a perfect student is, like, more than what his, like, 
instructors are expecting of a child. That's fair. Either way, at the age of 17, with two weeks before graduation, he dropped out to pursue a career in music. My dude. Much to his father's dismay. Yeah, honestly, though, I'd be pretty mad, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm on his dad's side on that. It's just two weeks. You can it's make it. It's just one of those things that's like, no kid, no yeah. kid, just <laughs> no, I know better than you right now. <laughs> there might have been a reason for it that I just didn't see, because like, Billy Joel also technically dropped out like a month before graduation, but that was because they told him that he needed to do like a summer class or something. And he was like, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. So it might've been something like that. It might not have been just like, just stay here two more weeks and you're done. It might've been like he needed to do something. I don't know. We'll see. We won't see. I don't know, but people can look it up and tell me. His mom, though still pretty strict, was more of a free spirit than his dad. And since his dad was away a lot, Elton was primarily raised by his mom and his grandmother. But he'd hear his parents get into vicious arguments when his dad was home. When he was 14, they would divorce. Elton stayed with his mother, who eventually married a painter, and stayed in their flat in London, where he'd end up writing a bunch of his hit songs. It was a pretty famous flat. Just because that's where he wrote his stuff? Yeah, it's where he and his writing partner ended up living and work like doing a whole bunch of work at the like piano and stuff. After leaving school, Elton worked for a music publishing company and played the bar scene around London, eventually joining a band called Bluesology. That's not a good name either. He was known simply as Reggie and would play popular standard songs as well as some of his own stuff. Reggie is cute. Bluesology actually started to get a bit of a career going. They started to get work as the touring band for popular R&B groups like Patti LaBelle. Nice. Because a lot of those English people would need bands, or what, a lot of the American people would need bands when they went to tour England. So, Bluesology was one of those bands. The band didn't travel? Well, if you're a solo artist, it might be too expensive to fly the whole band out there and just rather rent. And if you're not like, if you don't have a standard band that you like to use, then might be easier to just do a local band. In 1966, they became the supporting band for blues singer Long John Baldry as he toured England. Elton started to get a tad bit fed up with Long John's control of the group and decided to find other bands to join. He ended up failing two different vocalist auditions. In 1967, he saw an ad for Liberty Music and they were looking for artists to audition. Like I thought you were label. going to say Liberty... Li Liberty Mutual? Liberty Mutual. Liberty Bibbity. We've all seen ads for Liberty Mutual at this point, but <laughs> this was Liberty Music. At the meeting, Elton was given an envelope full of lyrics written by another guy who had answered the same ad named Bernie Toppin. Is it a writing partner? Mm-hmm. <gasps> I found him. <laughs> Good job. Elton added music to the lyrics and sent it back to Bernie. Thus started a songwriting partnership that continues to this day. They first met That's later that year and, for the first time, recorded a song that they co-wrote called Scarecrow. This is Scarecrow. Yes. Oh, cute! Oh, cute little graphic!
not one of their best songs, not gonna lie. But whoever did this, like, graphics is really good. Yeah. most aesthetically pleasing lyric video I've ever seen in my life. The coffee is going down. They're drinking the coffee. This has uh, Beatles vibes. Yeah. Right, that's Scarecrow. It's a little bit... You can tell they're a little bit beginners in their craft. They're not quite as polished as they would become. I liked the unpolishedness, though. Yeah. Soon after, Reggie started going by Elton John. He Why? Took, he took the names of two of his former bluesology bandmates, Long John Baldry and the saxophonist Elton Dean. I don't know why he changed it. I guess he just thought it was a better name. I mean, it's great. Reginald Dwight. But Reggie is so good. I think there probably wasn't a lot of people doing the one name thing at that point. Yeah. So he might have didn't want to stand out too much. Reggie D. (laughs) I think it's great. Okay. The pair joined an indie record label as staff songwriters. Bernie would take an hour to write a batch of lyrics, and then Elton would take half an hour to write music for those lyrics. They churned out a ton of easy listening songs for that label. None of those songs became hits. Meanwhile, Elton was recording songs for budget labels to be sold in supermarkets. (laughs) By the summer of 1968, Elton had started to write songs for release under his own name. He released his first album in 1969 called Empty Sky. The songs, which were all written by Elton and Bernie, were more rock and R&B oriented than the stuff that they were writing for other artists. The album was widely praised by critics, but was a commercial failure. Here is the first single under the Elton John name called I've Been Loving You. was written by the other guy lyrics yeah Elton with the music which is how all of their songs went That's how I've been loving you. How do you feel about it? I think it's okay. Okay. Even though that album didn't really make any noise on the charts, Elton and Bernie hit the studio to record a follow-up, an album in 1970 called Simply Elton John. This Classy. Al- yeah. This album kind of set the standard of their style with gospel chords and ballads. The first single broke into the charts, but barely. 
The second single, Your Song, became Elton's first hit. Is that like our song? What? Our song by Taylor Swift. No. It's not like that. You've heard your song. I've heard our song. You can tell everybody this is your song. Maybe quite simple, but... You can tell everybody yeah. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. <laughs> no. We'll listen to it in a second. It reached number seven in the UK and number eight in the US. A lot of the album's success came from the producer and arranger who contributed grandiose strings for Elton. I like strings. Here is your song. Our song Not like your song. Slip, scream, door. Sneak it out, wait. Tapping on your window. You're missing live help. I'm one of those who can easily hide. I don't have much money, but boy, if I did, I'd buy a big house where we both could live. If I was a sculptor, I like his. But suit. then again, no. Or a You've heard this song, right? I don't know yet. In the traveling shoe. I know it's not much, Ellie Golding did a very good cover best huh. I can do. My gift is my song, yeah. Back when people like cared about Ellie Golding. It's okay. She knows that you still care about her. And you can tell everybody this is your song. So is the other one sampled of this? What other one? Oh, man. Now that it's done. I hope you don't mind. Are you sure? I remember that. Well, I mean, it's the same lyrics and the same notes to the first line of the chorus. Maybe it is. I don't know. All right. Well, that's your song. Anyway, I guess I've heard that. Is it not make much of an impression? I'm sure you've heard it somewhere. It's a very good song. You finding Ellie? No. I'm looking at the the man. Did Aloe Black copy Elton John? Elton John and Bernie Taupin received songwriting credits due to the song's interpolation of the line, You Can Tell Everybody. It's the same notes, too. Yeah. They might not have done it intentionally, but if it sounds similar enough, they got to get songwriting credits. That's how Paramore got songwriting credits for Olivia Wilde. Olivia Wilde? Olivia, whatever her name is. <laughs> Rodrigo. Whenever I hear Olivia, my mind goes to Wild because that's just who I most recognize. You're so cute. Elton played his first show in America in August of 1970 when he played in L.A. The performance received incredible reviews and praise. He followed it up with tours of the U.S. and his popularity continued to rise through the fall. Trying to capitalize on his success, Elton released another album of Elton and Bernie songs, which was a concept album called Tumbleweed Connection. In the same year. So that's two albums in 1970. That album was another hit, peaking at number two in the UK and number five in the US. Releasing albums really quickly became a standard throughout most of Elton's career. 
1971, he released a live album. He and Bernie wrote the soundtrack to a movie, and they released another album of Elton and Bernie songs called Madman Across the Water. I mean, if you're used to, like, writing a song in an hour and a half, I guess that's easy. Yeah. Madman Across the Water was also a hit album, and it included the very popular single, Tiny Dancer. Oh, because the tiny dancer. Yes. Da, 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 da. In 1972, Elton released Honky Chateau. No. (laughs) Which would propel him into superstardom. It was his first U.S. number one album, and it would start a streak of seven straight number one albums. Dude. It cemented the hit-making machine of Elton and Bernie. The album was mostly fueled by the incredible success of the single Rocket Man. I was going to play it, but I feel like Mika just really captured it. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm going to be high. I think that overall, I wish that his music was just a little bit faster. Well, that's what's soft rock about it. It's soft, easy listening. I miss it's not supposed the to be high so That would just be regular. I miss my wife. It's lonely out of space. On such a timeless flight. I'm surprised we've gone this long and we haven't commented on his jacket. I love his jacket. It's sparkly and pink. <laughs> Like now I'm okay. But it always takes me a solid the whole beginning of the song to like like it. Like this is great. See, you nailed it. Thank you. I have perfect pitch, just like Elton John. Elton's next eight albums all went platinum, and he had 16 top 20 hits in a row over the next four years. It's safe to say that he was dominating the music game, and all of his songs were still written with Bernie. Him and Bernie are dominating the music game. In October 1973, Elton took a stab at glam rock with his album called Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. It featured the hugely popular songs Benny and the Jets, Candle in the Wind, and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Around 1974, he started his own record label called Rocket and signed I, a couple of prominent musicians like Kiki D and Neil Sedaka. I feel like we should go back to glam rock. Okay. That's something that I'm very interested I in. I feel like we're cl- close. I feel like a lot of Harry's could be very yes. glam rock adjacent, right? Harry yes. Styles is pretty glam rock. I want to talk about glam rock. I also like how you said he took a stab at glam rock, although he is like very glam. <laughs> Elton John seems like he's got the glam. He is, but his music might not be. His music is not glam. His music, <laughs> it lacks a little bit of a like yeah. sparkle sometimes to me. Okay, so even though he started a record label, instead of releasing his music on his own label, he signed an $8 million deal with MCA, 
Why? Who then took out a $25 million insurance policy on Elton's life. Maybe that's why. Well, I mean, he doesn't get that money. That's right. He just got $8 million, which is still a huge deal. I don't know why he wouldn't just release his stuff on his own label. And maybe the $8 million was too hard to pass up. I don't know. In 1974, Elton was instrumental in bringing John Lennon out of retirement. How are we just still in 1974? Because this man is a workaholic. I feel like we have talked about like 12 projects in the last four years. Yes. His first album was 1970 and we're in 1974. Holy cow. <laughs> he's already had like, what, 16 tops? Like he's, this man releases two albums a year. He's crazy. Anyway. He was instrumental in getting John Lennon out of retirement. John Lennon. He sang backup vocals on Lennon's song that hit number one. He also Which invited... Which one is that? I don't know, whatever John Lennon's major comeback song was. I don't know. John Lennon's comeback song. He also invited John to play at Madison Square Garden with him on Thanksgiving Day. Thanksgiving Day. It would end up being John Lennon's last ever performance. Lennon only appeared on stage because he promised he would if their song made it to number one. And then it did. So John Lennon had to perform. So you've been, you've seen a show in the venue where John Lennon did his last performance. I have done that thing. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Over the next few years, Elton couldn't be stopped. He released an album that debuted at number one, which was the first album to ever do that. It was an autobiographical album with Bernie, and his songs were detailing their time as struggling musicians when they both lived in Elton's mom's house and wrote songs there. Like, wow, she still lived there? Like, they lived with his mom? Yep. Ah. Around this time, he also fired most of his old band, who were tired and overworked, and hired some new musicians. That's mean. Like, don't just fire them. Be like, good job. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Like. (laughs) I don't know. There's probably. I hope it was like a thank you so much for your service and helping me. Here is lots of money. There's probably more to that story than I didn't cover but i don't know instead of like you know freaking like you're fired freaking trump he also became famous for his live performances he would have crazy stage antics and dress as flashy as he possibly could good he said that his style of dress was partly a pushback against the super tight-laced environment that he grew up in but it's also because he had to make people look at him somehow (sighs) yeah He said, quote, I wasn't a sex symbol like Bowie, Mark Bolin, or Freddie Mercury, so I dress more on the humorous side, because if I was going to be stuck at the piano for two hours, I was going to make people look at me, end quote. I respect it. Yeah, that's fair. Through 1976, he continued to tour and record at an incredibly rapid pace. He hit the top of the charts again with his duet, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, Don't go breaking my heart. with his label <laughs> signee, Kiki D. Here is that song. Baby, you're not the kind. Boom, 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 boom. This was my, this was my solo song when I did show choir. Your solo? You do it? You did a duet no. as your solo song? <laughs> I could have, but no. It was me and my friend Dylan. I like how he just kind of goes back and forth like I do where he goes like 
like we dance in a very similar way. <laughs> She also looks like she does not want to be there. She's probably just tired. Go breaking my heart with Kiki D. Do we learn more about Kiki? Because she seems like she's not vibing. Nope. That's the last time we hear of Kiki. All right. Well, I hope Kiki had a good life. <laughs> I'm sure she did. She might still be alive. Also in 1976, in an interview with Rolling Stone, he revealed that he was bisexual. He later said that that was a compromise because he wasn't ready to admit that he was homosexual. Yeah. Fans did not react well to this admission. Rude. Also, he was incredibly exhausted from, like, six years of nonstop hits and touring. All of this led to a decline in popularity and sales in the late 70s. 1970 to 1976 are regarded as both his most commercially successful years and the years where he did his best work. He just burned himself out. Yeah, he did. He just burned too quickly. He had seven straight number one albums, something never done before. Six of his albums from this time period made Rolling Stone's list of 500 greatest albums of all time. So cool. He also had six number one singles during this time, which is wild. In November of 1977, Elton announced for the first time that he would be retiring from touring. And Bernie began to collaborate with other artists. This meant that Elton moved down to only producing one album a year. Elton released an album in 1978 with a new lyricist. This Why? Because Bernie was working with other artists. He was branching out, doing his own thing. The singles from that album did not reach the top 20. By 1979, he was back on the road with a comeback tour, but his album that year was basically a commercial flop. So it sounds like Elton really needs Bernie. We all need our Bernies. In 1979, Bernie and Elton reunited, but they weren't ready to work together on another album yet. Apparently, their two years apart wasn't due to any bad feelings from either of them. It was just burnout. They had been working together like at a super rapid pace for so long. Yeah. They needed time apart. Over the next few years, Bernie would contribute a few songs to each of Elton's albums, but he wouldn't write all of them the way he used to. While Elton remained a super super popular live performer, his albums and his singles were basically failing. He couldn't break into the top of the charts. He was also really dependent on drugs and alcohol during this time, something that, something that many people blame for him losing his magic touch. In 1983, Elton and Bernie teamed up for a full album again and released Too Low for Zero, which would be Elton's last string of hits. Two different singles, I'm Still Standing, and I guess that's why they call it the blues, were top 20 hits. Here is I'm Still Standing. A very 80s video. I hope you're ready for this. I'm so excited. I liked the circle intro. You're just wait. There's a lot of <laughs> unitards in this. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. 
feel like I'm watching a Disney Channel original movie, but like sexualized more than normal. This is amazing. Cute. Mesh, mesh crop top tank top. This is wonderful. That's I'm still standing. Y'all, you gotta go watch that if you haven't watched that ever. Holy cow. It's a good video. I'm completely entertained. (laughs) See, that's what I need. That's (laughs) the level I need. You need music videos. Well, I mean, sometimes. Through the rest of the 80s, his albums consistently went gold and generated at least one top 40 single, which was nothing like the success of the 70s, but was still considered like out of the slump and is way better than almost any ar- other artist could like any other artist would be like, yeah, I would love for my albums to go gold and have a top yeah. for like for him to be underachieving and doing that is like wild. Meanwhile, his personal life was struggling. Oh, no. In 1983, despite knowing that he was homosexual, he married a sound technician named, oh boy, Renee. It's R-E-N-A-T-E. Blael. Cute. B-L-A-U-E-L. Is a German woman that he met in London. I thought she was French, so maybe it's not. Maybe it's Renat. It's not Renat. (laughs) Maybe it's not as pretty as I was trying to make. It's not (laughs) Renat. I don't know. German is pretty guttural. (laughs) No. Renat. No. Renat Blal. Stop it. (laughs) You're insulting our German friends. I'm I'm not. Bernie said he saw the marriage as Elton wanting to have a family. Okay. I'm just going to call her Renee because I don't know how to pronounce it. It's probably Renee. Renee later stated that she attempted suicide during their honeymoon. Oh, God. That's how rough the relationship was. Holy cow. About four years later, they divorced and went separate ways. Good on both of them for making it through that. Holy yeah. goodness gracious. Renee was ba- Renee has basically disappeared from the public eye apart from suing Elton in 2020 when he broke the terms of their divorce by writing about their relationship in his book. Interesting. At the time, Elton was heavily addicted to cocaine and alcohol. He said later, quote, a drug addict thinks like this i've had enough boyfriends and that's not made me happy so i'll have a wife that will change everything and oh. i and i loved renee she's a great girl i really really loved her but you know it's one of those things i regret most in my life hurting her end oh. quote right after the divorce he would tell rolling stone that he was gay and not bisexual in 1988 elton auctioned off all of his theatrical costumes memorabilia and his record collection why? The auction netted him over $20 million. He considered it kind of a symbolic turning point. 
He spent the next two years trying to control his addiction, battling bulimia, and getting a hair transplant. Sweet, precious man. Yeah. In the early 90s, he started focusing on how he could help others. He donated all of the profits from the sales of his singles to charities focused on AIDS research. Sweet, precious man. By 1991, he was sober, and in 1992, he established his own AIDS foundation. In 1992, he returned a recording and released an album called The One that went double platinum and peaked at number eight, oh, cool. sparking a bit of a career rebirth for Elton. In 1994, he collaborated with Tim Rice for songs for the Disney film Lion King. In 1997, he re-recorded Candle in the Wind, which he had ri- originally written, well, I guess Bernie and him had originally written as a tribute to Marilyn Monroe, but he updated the lyrics as a tribute to his friend Princess Diana after her death. It became the fastest-selling number one song of all time, and Elton set it up so that all of the profits went to Diana's favorite charities. That's so sweet. Here is that version of Candle in the Wind. Is it funny that the only thing playing in my mind right now is like, Get out those yeah. candles <laughs> in the wind. I mean, I knew that's where you would go. Bye-bye, <laughs> bye, face from Hamilton. Yeah. George. Yes. From history. Yeah. <laughs> the, the king we broke away from. Listen. Not just like, Jonathan Groff's character. There's like three English king names and I can't tell you who they are. It's George, William, or Charles. Yeah, I can't. I don't know. They had hair like Or Edward. That, There's a few Edwards. Edward. All right, let's candle in the wind. I was not enthralled. Yeah. I mean, you're not meant to be. It's not meant to be, like, super entertaining. That's fair. Recently, Elton has continued to tour and record songs. Beginning in, like, 2018, he started doing a lot of career retrospective stuff, like farewell tours and biographical films, just, like, compilation albums, stuff like that. He has tour dates scheduled out through 2023 and is still releasing collaborations with other musicians. In 2014, Elton married his longtime partner, David Furnish, a former advertising executive. They have two sons. Oh, he got his family. In 2019, he stated that he has been sober for 29 years. Oh my gosh. He is inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And in 1998, he was knighted for his charity work. So sweet. He has an Academy Award for Lion King, a Disney Legends Award, a Kennedy Center Honor, and basically any other award a singer-songwriter can get. And that's Elton. I love him. Yeah. He's had a, he's had a wild career. What a Very cool few people can say they've had the career Elton John has had. Yeah. It's really refreshing to, like, I don't know. Unfortunately, I feel like a lot of 
artists don't get to push through their like mental illness yeah from yeah. all of the pressure and stuff and it's just and to be fair he's refreshing. probably not all the way through it like well, it's yeah. i feel like it's one of those things that like never go away he probably still is dealing with stuff but yeah sounds like he's in a better place than yeah. he was back in like the late 80s early 90s i mean it's impressive yeah. it's just impressive and we'll talk about him a little bit more next episode because we talk about Billy Joel next episode. Yay! And he and Billy Joel had a little bit of a feud oh at one point. It was mostly on, like, it was mostly in the media. Like, Billy never really cared. Right. <laughs> it was more just Elton being like, Billy needs to make more music. He needs to work harder. And Billy's like, ah, it's just Elton. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> he can say what he wants. I don't care. How I can see, like, I can picture it now. Yeah. <laughs> And the media is just keep kept going on. And I'm like, what do you have to say to this? And I'm just like, I don't <laughs> care what he says. I'll oh do what goodness. I want. But we'll talk about that next week. So please tune in for the Billy Joel episode because that one is probably my favorite I've ever written. Exciting stuffs. We talk more about, it's not just about the music. It's more, he talked a little about, about his personal life too, which is fun. I can't wait. It's only seven pages. I thought it was longer. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, anything to add about Elton before we sign off and record again tomorrow? No. I like him. He is good. <laughs> okay. Leave us your recommendations for COVID stuff, even though by the time this episode is up, we will be out of COVID. Yeah, that's true. We don't really take people's recommendations very often. It took us a very long time to watch Ted Lasso. That's true. That was born on principle. Everyone and their mother was telling us to watch the lesson. I just don't like signing up for streaming services. So that was a principle thing. Goodbye. Goodbye. And did you think this folk will never win? Well, look at me. I'm coming back again. I got a taste of love and a simple way. And if you need to know while I'm still standing, you just fade away. Don't you know? Look at like a two survivor.